Welcome back to the Horseman's Corner with this Van Hargis. This is from an interview that I did with Van a couple of years ago. One of the things and one of the people that he talked about was Jack Brainerd, who's into the Western dressage. And gosh, Jack Brainerd is an interesting horseman, isn't he? He's up probably in his 90s, Van, but really an interesting individual. Talk about Jack a little bit, will you? You know, it's one of my little dreams come true. I had an opportunity to do a clinic with Jack uh, in Abilene, Texas, several years ago. Tell you a little bit about Mr. Brainerd and, and his attitude toward horsemanship. He was probably in his mid-80s at that time. And we had the arena divided in half, and I'm looking at one end of the arena. My students were down there, and Jack had was looking toward the other arena or toward the other direction in the arena, and his students were down on that side. And we were standing you know, side, literally standing side by side. One of my students made some sort of deal, and I, I yelled at him in some instruction. And, and uh, I thought at first I must have said something wrong because I saw in the corner of my eye, I saw Mr. Brainerd shaking his head. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, I must have said something wrong. Said, Mr. Brainerd, what's on your mind? He said, Van, you know, he said, I'm just afraid I'm going to die before I learn everything about these darn horses that I want to learn. And at that point, I was just so humbled to sit there and think, here's a guy that's 86 years old, I think he was at the time, who had probably trained more trainers than most of us have trained horses, and yet he was still on that journey of learning and horsemanship to the point where he was concerned about not getting a chance to learn everything he wanted to learn. And uh, and that's when I realized, you know, at that point in time, you know, I've got a long way to go. We all do. It's, it's a never-ending journey. It's a journey that uh, that yields nothing but happiness and success if we stay on it and stay and stay humble. Yeah, I think he's kind of into this Western dressage at the present time, isn't he? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and I couldn't think of a better representative for us as, as in the Western industry for dressage. Mr. Brainerd, I think, probably knows as much as anybody about uh, the mechanics of a horse, how a horse moves mechanically, and, uh, and metaphysically, you know, in that, kind of in that spiritual world, if you want to call it that, and how a horse thinks. But I'm just absolutely amazed at uh, what Jack can get accomplished with horses, just from his understanding of how horses think and how horses truly work uh, mechanically. And and uh, and he works with those, and he does a great job in teaching others how to look for those types of things as well. You know, when we think of a, a gentleman that you mentioned, uh, a Buster Welch, and course his claim to fame uh is in the cutting horse world fantastic cutting horse trainer but a man like buster welch has to be just a pretty doggone good horseman to be the outstanding cutting horse trainer that uh he turned out to be doesn't he you you said it i tell you and 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 i for one will say this he was also extremely generous with his time with his time uh, I'll never forget, we were in the fourth uh, fraternity one year, or down at the fourth fraternity one year, and Mr. Mr. Welch, this was back in the day before before uh, a lot of the cutters had half a dozen lopers out there loping their horses for them, and uh, Mr. Welch was back in a training pen getting ready to go into the main arena and to compete, and he was warming up his own horse, and I was watching him ride this little filly, and he was getting his horse to, to take several steps backwards and roll over at Tox, and I was a whopping nine or ten years old, and I was watching him get this done. Everything just looked so smooth and so graceful. He wasn't, you know, jabbing a horse with his spurs. He wasn't ripping the horse's face off with his hands. And so I just spoke up and I said, Mr. Welch, could, excuse me, could, could you show me a little bit slower about what you're doing so I can watch what you're doing right there? He did it a few more times. And he said, well, young man, why don't you just climb over here and I'll put you on this mare and I'll show you. And he literally let me climb over the fence, put me on this little old mare. Of course, he couldn't reach the stirrups. But he put me on this mare, and he showed me exactly what to do with my hands and exactly what to do with my feet. You know, and I thought the world of him then for doing that. 
But years later, I thought, oh, my gosh, that was probably the most rich event there was going on in the country at that time in the Western horse industry. And he took some time out of his out of his schedule right there, right before he goes in to compete and shows a little 9- or 10-year-old kid how to become a better horseman. And I've, I've never forgotten that. I don't think I'll ever forget that. I think that generosity of his time. And, of course, that sure inspired me to, uh, to be the same way with my time and my knowledge. So, uh, so yes, sir, I, I hold a very high regard as being a phenomenal horseman, uh, a phenomenal eye for good horses and for good horsemanship, but most importantly for being such a good character and sharing his time with others. No, that would indicate to to me at least that uh, his ego wasn't out. If he took the time to mess around with a kid that was interested, uh, uh, doing it for the right reason, it wasn't because of his ego, was it? That's for darn sure. You know, uh, you know, who knows? He might have treated you know an adult a little differently with a little bit different attitude. But you know, as a child, you know, I, I can't imagine being treated any nicer uh, and any better. And like you said, looking back at it now. That was probably just a, a, the, the least egotistical move he could do at that point in time, considering his schedule was so valuable right at that moment. You know what? If you're going to be a good horseman, you do kind of have to keep your ego in check, don't you? Well, if you don't, the horse darn sure will. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's sure a good idea. Just, uh, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and just be grateful for the day and, and uh, kind of keep that, that that ego in check before the horse checks it for you. I've looked at some of your blogs, and I'm going to ask you about one of the blogs that you had there that was kind of fun for me to read, but what did you get out of judging a uh, pony show? Oh, my goodness. It was, it was you know, I've, I've never really had ponies myself. I, but nonetheless, I had an absolute blast. I was down here in South Texas, and a, and a group asked me if I would uh, you know, volunteer a little bit of my time to, to judge a show for, for this little youth group, and their uh, their primary mounts were, were ponies and it was just a blast for me i had an absolute blast doing it and of course i didn't know any different i just judged them like they were big horses and and uh and the kids were just i mean i was just very flattered by how hard the, the parents had worked and how many of the trainers or how the trainers had worked to develop these kids because these kids were extremely talented and of course mr hale this is cute as they could be i mean some of those darn ponies and some of the kids were riding them were just uh they were just a picture to see and it's really good to see that work ethic because, you know, they couldn't have done that well at that particular show without having the work ethic that they did. So what I walked away from it was, was a sense of pride in the sense that I had an opportunity to go help those folks. But at the same time, uh, it, it felt pretty darn refreshing to realize that this next generation coming up is going to be offering our industry quite so much. Yeah, there, uh, there are a lot of good kids out there, aren't there? Yes, sir. There sure is. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of negative talk about our youth coming up. But at the same time, you know, let's talk positive about all the ones that are doing great jobs and, and that have those great support mechanisms, such as these youth organizations and, and the hardworking parents out there that are making these opportunities available for these kids. So my hat's off to all those folks. Of course, my hat's off to these kids for being so dedicated and working so hard at a day and time where there's so many other distractions where you're putting on clinics and, and uh, teaching folks, what do you get out of it? Do you learn something as well when you're at these clinics? Well, you know, exactly. I, I do almost every time I, I do a clinic, there's a tremendous amount I walk away with. And, and that's another reason I try to get my students to participate, uh, you know, ask, asking a lot of questions, work hard while they're in a clinic, because I am there to learn as well. And you never know who's going to say or do something that will come across a little bit different inspire you to word something a little bit differently. Uh, 
Um, so I, I get that. But the most important thing I think I get for myself is that uh, I feel really good at the end of the day knowing that most importantly I've used my spiritual gift for the greater good. Um, I feel very blessed in my life to have discovered my spiritual gift, if you want to call it that, which was uh, using horses to communicate to people about what I call both horsemanship as well as humanship. And uh, when I get an opportunity to do that, whether the crowd be as big as what the Rocky Mountain Horse Expo might be, or if it's just a small clinic that has 10 to 15 riders, it makes me feel really good at the end of the day uh, to have that opportunity to share that with people and to exercise my spiritual gift. I, I can't thank Mr. Hale of the last several years that I've done an event of any size that I didn't stop and say thank you to the audience for being there, for giving me that opportunity to exercise that spiritual gift and at the same time encourage other folks who've yet to discover their spiritual gift to discover that and then work hard for the greater good uh, to, to share that with people. To me, it's almost an obligation. Once you've discovered that spiritual gift, once you've discovered your aptitude, uh, I think it's a blessing, and I think we're obligated to use that blessing to help me. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm eternally grateful every time I do one of those expos or every time I do a clinic. I'm so grateful for those opportunities. Well, it is kind of interesting, the uh, gifts that the good Lord gives to us, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, every shape, form, and fashion, every, every, every means you can possibly imagine, the, the, the gifts are there. It's just whether or not we choose to accept them. What are, what are some of the products that you have uh, for sale that, that uh, might be helpful to people to, to uh, learn a little more about horses and horsemanship, Van? But uh, when they come to an event, whether it be at a clinic or an expo, they can usually get our stuff, one of which is a, a Ranch Horse Versatility DVD. It's called Train the Versatile Ranch Horse. And it's kind of a three-part deal. It's, it's a, it works a little bit on how to train a ranch horse, uh, how to utilize those ranch horse skills in a practical setting on a ranch, and at the same time how to use those, those skills to be more competitive in a ranch horse competition-type environment. Uh, another DVD we're offering is... Uh, a DVD called Bit by Bit, and it's where we kind of take away some of the mystery, I guess you could say, about various bits. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest questions that I get is, what bit do you recommend? And, uh, and and I think the reason people ask that question is that there's so darn many bits out there today, and people don't understand why there are so many and, and how to use them and what bit works best in which situation. And, and on that DVD, I do my best just to try to simplify that and try to take away some of the most difficult questions. Uh, and then, of course, we have a, a menagerie of other types of things, you know, the, the halters and lead ropes that I normally use, uh, my bits and my head stalls and saddles that we've designed. And, and uh, I've just been very, very fortunate in this industry to have some of the top saddle manufacturers come to me over the years and ask for some of my designs. And, uh, and again, they're, just, they're, they're very simple. There's nothing spectacular about my designs. They're just real simple, real basic, uh, but it's very, very functional for, uh, for the working horsemen. Okay, let's talk about what people ought to be looking for when they're, uh, besides uh, looking for good hands is one thing they ought to be looking for when they're when they're talking about bits, but the bit itself, what should they be looking for? Well, to me, I'm looking for something that's going to be extremely simple. Um, you know, I start all of my colts off, uh, well, the first rides are usually with a halter and, and a lead rope, and then I'll graduate to kind of what I call a glorified loping hackamore, which is just a real simple, it's one step above a, one step above a uh, halter. But the first bit I put in the horse's mouth is just a very simple uh, smooth mouth snaffle. Uh, it's an offset D-ring snaffle, and 
therein lies another question. A lot of people say, well, why an offset B-ring as opposed to an O-ring snaffle? Well, I've got nothing against an O-ring snaffle. It's just almost every bit we ride a horse with outside of a snaffle, uh, a true snaffle, is going to have some sort of straight edge on it on the, on the, the corners of the horse's mouth. So if that's the case, I'm going to go with the mildest bit I possibly can, which is a broken mouthpiece snaffle and smooth snaffle that's got a straight edge on the side. And there's probably not a better one out there that's uh, represented than, than an uh, offset D-ring. Uh, it, it prepares my horse for the, the next bit, the transition bit that I would go to next. So what, what I tell folks to look for is just simplicity. Look for something very simple, things that we know already works. And some of those things are, number one, smooth. I want smooth mouth because I don't want to... To, to inflict any more discomfort to a horse, and that's what I absolutely have to. So it's, I like a smooth mouth for that purpose. Um, it has been proven over years of various studies um, that a porous type metal, such as sweet iron, uh, seems to be very, very comfortable to a horse. It promotes salivation, and, and it's porous enough that uh, that, that salivation isn't, uh, isn't wasted, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. But uh, so I also often look for a smooth mouth snaffle that's with sweet iron metals. Um, just for my laziness aspect of it, I like for the cheek pieces to be stainless steel. And the reason I do is if they're quick and easy to clean, uh, maintains a certain kind of eye appeal. And there's other bits out there that are that are pretty, by God, but the stainless steel is just the easiest and the quickest to keep clean. So I like I like something like that. Again, just trying to keep my world as simple as I possibly can for both me and the horse. But, uh, but those are some of the things I look for in, in, in some of the milder bits and some of the bits I'm going to be starting a horse off with at first. When it comes to, uh, when it comes to the saddles, uh, uh, sure, a saddle has to fit a horse, but that saddle is really important. That it, that's, that's a good foundation, and it's got to be comfortable for the horse, I would think. So talk about saddles a little bit, will you, and what you're looking for there. Yes, sir. Well, what I'm looking for in a saddle, of course, you hit the nail right on the head, and that's I want to find a top-quality saddle made by a very reputable and very top-quality saddle manufacturer. And the reason why is that they're generally going to work a little bit harder with the saddle tree manufacturers to make sure that the, that the trees that go into the saddles are well-conformed and well-balanced, uh, meaning that they lay flat, that they don't, uh, they don't have that they don't lay on the horse's back crooked. In other words, we want all four points of that saddle to be even. Uh, that's, in other words, it's just like everything else. We've got to start with a great foundation. That saddle tree is the absolute most important thing there. After that, we want to make sure we're using top-quality materials, you know, the best leather possible. So those are the things I look for. But really, when I'm looking for outside of those, those things, I'm looking for something that fits my task. I really have to ask myself, you know, what, what am I going to be doing in my horse the most? If all I do is race uh, barrels and I'm a barrel racer, then... And, you know, by God, it might just pay for me to go find me a barrel racing saddle as opposed to a cutting saddle. Uh, so I want to match the saddle to the task of which uh, that suits my needs. Um, I, for one, I have several saddles in, in the tap room, probably more than what I'd ever use and what I ever need. But I've got a saddle just about for every occasion. I've got a saddle for, for a, a numerous number of horses because the, the reality is, too, we're not going to find one saddle that's going to fit every horse. Um not that I would tell everybody to go buy, you know, a thousand saddles, but, but at the same time, that's where a good saddle manufacturer comes in. You're going to find a saddle tree that's going to fit a fairly diverse number of horses' backs, and then uh, we follow that up, of course, with a good saddle pad that'll make up for any sort of ill fit that may be taking place with that saddle not fitting exactly correct. Um, but but the thing that I'm looking for, number one, a good quality saddle manufacturer, good quality materials and workmanship, 
and then matching the saddle to the task. You talked about the uh, saddle itself, and of course that saddle pad is extremely important. Talk about those a little bit, what what your preference is there, will you? You betcha. Um, again, Mr. Hell, when I'm, when I'm looking for a saddle pad, I'm looking for something that uh, that's going to be diverse, meaning something I can use day in and day out. It's going to have, uh, I prefer saddle pads be made of natural fibers as opposed to synthetic fibers. Uh, and when I say natural fibers, I will... I will probably say this, that probably over probably 80% or more of the saddle pads that are in my attack room are, uh, are made of wool of some sort. Uh, I have very few synthetic-type materials uh, in, in, in my attack room for my saddle pads. Uh, and, of course, I have various thicknesses of saddle pads, again, to match both my task as well as uh, to match my horse. Um, I'll try to match that horse with the best saddle fit I possibly can, but I'll make up for any little bit that I possibly can with a, with a top-quality saddle pad made out of those natural fibers. And, again, my personal preference is, is, uh, is a wool, wool pad. And with a wool pad, the cool thing is you can get a wool pad and get any kind of blanket you want to to put over that thing and dress it up. And for these people that are out there in the show world, you know, these women especially, boy, they'll match their, their saddle pads, their splint boots, and they'll match everything they possibly can to their outfit, which I think looks great and it's good for the industry. Um, but by golly, I'd hate to have to buy so many $200 saddle pads to make that happen. So what they can do is go buy a really good top-quality saddle pad and put one of those cover blankets over the top of it and, uh, and meet both needs and both requirements. So to me, again, I look for a saddle pad that's going to suit my needs, uh, that, that's going to fit my horse, fit my saddle, and at the same time uh, made out of natural fibers if at all possible. Yeah, that wool is tough to beat, isn't it? I tell you, it really is. I mean, you know, it... Uh, you know, I've seen so many variations of it, you know, to where people take a really good wool pad and they'll put some sort of neoprene or some sort of rubber on the bottom of it. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. But the, that wool really does a great job of not only just acting, acting as a good pad that conforms to the horse's shape and to the shape of the saddle as well. But it, uh, So it's great for shock absorption, but it's also great for absorbing that moisture and wicking that moisture away from the horse's back. I just don't think you can beat wool for a, for a good quality saddle pad. What about the tree itself? Have uh, you gone into any of the flex trees, that type of thing, or do you stick with that old uh, uh, standard, the uh, rawhide-covered, uh, really good wood tree? Well, being in this industry and having earned the reputation I had over the years, I will have people send me saddles and saddle trees of every sort that you can imagine. Uh, and and I, I guess I've tried just about everything that's been out there on the market. And, and what I haven't, people are trying to send me to try uh, still, so I will. I will give everything you know a good look, and I'll, I'll study it very objectively. Um, but again, I have to emphasize: I'm going to match my saddle and my saddle trees to my task. Um, I've yet to see anything out there on the market today that replaced a really good wooden tree, uh, you know, wrapped in um, uh, rawhide and then maybe reinforced with fiberglass for a good working ranch saddle or a good working uh, team roping or cap roping saddle. And the reason those saddles uh, need to be beefed up so much is because, you know, we do get into some binds out there from time to time uh, on the ranch. And then in the in the arena, you know, you take a 300-pound calf at the end of that rope, hitting, hitting the end of that rope at, you know, 15, 20 miles an hour, on a horse that's suddenly stopped on a rope that has very little stretch in it, that's a tremendous amount of pound on both the horse as well as on that saddle tree. So I, I'm obviously looking for something that's going to be very, very uh, – 
you know, durable in that particular situation. I just don't think a flex tree in that case is going to hold up on my horse and probably going to soar him up if I try to use something like that. However, a flex tree might be great in the reining pen. Uh, it might be great in the working cow horse pen, and it might be great uh, on a trail ride. It might even be good on a west on a, uh, a pleasure type saddle. So again, I've got to emphasize that I need to really study what I'm using my equipment for, and then match that uh, that task with that equipment. Well, gosh, I've taken a lot of your time. About time to close it out. But what would you like to add? What would you like to add that I haven't asked you about? Oh, Mr. Hell. Most importantly, we have to look at this. I think in the horse industry today. Um, there's only 3% of the people that have horses today that actually make a living on horseback. That means there's 97% of the people out there that own horses today that are in it for some reason or the other, and it has to do with recreation. So understanding that and knowing that, the thing that I'd really advise people to do is learn as much as you can so that you can be as secure in, in what you do with your horses, and then most importantly, have fun. If you're not making a living at it, by golly, have fun because even even the three percent of the folks like myself i'm in it to enjoy it i'm in it to have fun i'm in it to, to share with others so uh, most importantly just enjoy your horses and have fun thanks for joining us for today's edition of the horseman's corner i'm howard hale host of the show and i'll say goodbye may god bless see you next week same time same place <laughs>